Welcome back to Miss Radio. This is Gabe. Last semester, you first heard from Emmy Ham in a conversation with Angelo about her time working at an affordable housing organization in Portland, Maine. Just a couple weeks ago, I sat down with her to talk about Congress and about the presidential candidates who have announced their candidacies, along with a couple that haven't. Uh, this stuff, you know, it's politics. It is national politics. It can get ugly. It can get stupid. We all know that. We don't talk about it a whole lot in classes. And that's probably for the best because there are definitely more important things to focus on. However, what happens at the federal level, what happens in national politics affects everything that we do. And we can't deny it. We have to work with it until we can change the system to something better. But it's not as simple as that. We all know it. So Emmy and I, we worked on Josh Harder's campaign along with another group of pretty dedicated students here at Miss. Shout out to Ben McIntosh for getting that team together. Um, this time we're going to talk about the stuff I mentioned before, presidential candidates, her experience doing the Women's March a couple weeks ago, and just the general state of American politics and what progressive movement really looks like these days. We had a good time talking. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Please enjoy Emmy Ham's Back to Miss Radio. All right, we're recording. Okay, let's go. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Emmy Ham, you're back. I'm back. Welcome back. I'm back in the hot seat. <laughs> you participated in the Women's March last week. I did, yes. How'd that go? It was great. It was great. I think there was about, uh, let's see, 2,000 people. Okay, on the streets of Monterey. On the streets of Monterey, yes. Very short walk, which was, it was a good turnout because there was a march in San Jose um, and I think Santa Cruz, so okay. to have that many people in Monterey For is sure. pretty good. That demonstrates a lot of local attention yeah. to these things. Sure. Well, I'm kind of wondering, like, it's the Women's March, it's a protest against the presidency in a sense, mm -hmm. but what... More substantively, what are you hearing people talk about in these contexts? What were the women talking about and the men who participated? What was the theme? Yeah, I think that uh, I would say more of a celebration of social justice and uh, political reform than protests necessarily. I mean, I think definitely the Women's March was um, sparked uh, yeah. by the election of Donald Trump, and that was very, you know, intentional, but uh, it's been, you know, a f couple years since the first March, and I think that the significance of it and the direction and um, the overall feelings about why we're marching have, have changed um, dramatically, and it's become less about a singular person and more about just what we want, want to see in our political future. Yeah. To that end, I mean, there's been this sort of controversy on the Women's March in the last few weeks, at least emerging in the media, about how there's been a split mm -hmm. between people who are kind of sticking to the original agenda and a group of people who are more interested in kind of highlighting the experience of people of color, uh, women of color especially. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that's created a huge controversy at the top levels of the Women's March and it effectively created a split. So what did you see last week? Was this one group or another or was this just kind of a local Monterey version of what's happening? Yeah, I mean, not to generalize, but it was definitely whitewashed. Um, and I think that uh, 
you know, that has something to do with the demographics of Monterey, mm -hmm. of course, um, and who's coming out. But uh, that gets down to the core of the issue is, is, is this a movement that is uh, whitewashed and being led by white women who are already in a heightened position of privilege yeah. compared to women of color, um, Latina women, um, and who really should be leading this movement. I think is the essential question. Um, I think at the at the march here in Monterey, there was a woman of color who gave the most prominent speech, hmm. um, and I think that at this point, every move that the women's march makes has to be tactical. It is thought hmm. out, and it is it is thinking what what are what are our viewers and what are our supporters um, looking to see. And I think uh, in this period where where Black Lives Matter and the women's you know women's movements yeah. are sort of coming together um, and reckoning with each other, you're going to see um, sort of this ambiguity around who should be leading it and who we should be following, who we should be placing in those positions of right. leadership. It so. seems like an almost impossible decision in a certain way. Because when you're fighting for rights or celebrating rights in one way or another, obviously there's, there are going to be shortcomings highlighted too. Mm -hmm. And one of those major shortcomings is something we've actually talked about on this podcast. Uh, we had somebody on last February during Black History Month, mm -hmm. uh, Shanae. She was talking about how, as a woman of color, she's really frustrated with things like the Women's March or just in general women's rights when mm -hmm. they don't take into account the rights of colored people and right. this sort of extra layer of oppression, extra right. layer of obstacles that are faced by women of color especially. Mm -hmm. So I, obviously we're not going to solve this issue right. just by talking about it now on, on a yeah. podcast. But I, I did actually, I chatted with Shanae a little bit about yeah. it um, and you know sh I, I had never considered that quite frankly. That's, um, that's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah and, <laughs> and I think that people kind of forge ahead with these social justice movements, and it's very, I mean, of course, there are people who show up at these marches on just one day of the year, yeah. and that's their social activism, um, and it's not as um, sort of thought out as it should be um, for a lot of these people, but... Um, and, 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 you know, people don't necessarily think about that when they go... Um, to these marches, how does um, LGBTQ rights play into it? How yeah. do um, you know uh, women of color, um, people of color? You know how do how do they all play into this movement? Um, and I think that every you know at least for me on on the activist level, that's something that I've been trying to negotiate with myself is like what is my position, yeah. and where how am I most helpful? Um, how, where is my presence most uh, constructive and needed, and I think a lot of people are negotiating with that yeah. right now. It, I, no, no pressure, but have you come up with anything yet? Asking yourselves, it's a good thing to ask the darn questions. Yeah, that's where it starts, but for sure, um, I, I personally think that, you know, when our most vulnerable uh, populations are are moving ahead, then we're all moving ahead. Mm. Um, so to me, it makes total sense for 
women of color to be leading this movement, um, women of uh, different um, minority classes. And um, so I think it's been my goal to sort of prop those women up and mm. take a back seat. Well, I'm going to take notes on that because I, I've been trying to figure out ways to do that myself. It's, mm -hmm. it's interesting the way kind of our social circles at Miss and in Monterey, like you said, things get whitewashed. Right. And the whole objective, I think, ought to be incorporating the voices that have not been. Mm -hmm. And, well, duly noted. Right. Um, and so, I mean, how do you feel? Um, there's a lot of talk about what is a man's presence <laughs> at the Women's March. You know, you know, I, I've gotten, I, I've felt really uh, conflicted about this because I, I feel an activist kind of instinct as well, but it's also the conflict is with the feeling that it's not my place mm -hmm. to be at any forefront. I want to see if I can find supporting roles in this kind of action, and you know, this podcast is one version of a supporting role, highlighting voices such as your own. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really looking forward to revisiting sort of our black history theme next month. Uh, that's sort of where this podcast got off the ground last year. So all I know is I've met a ton of really incredible people at this school, uh, many of whom are women, just as many of them are people of color, women of color. I've been really inspired by them, and I mm. want to do my best to elevate their voices. Right. So. Yeah. That's where I'm feeling, yeah. what I'm feeling yeah. these days. And watching the women in Congress doing their thing, yeah. it's been incredibly, it's, a, it's sort of a relief in, a, in some way to see that those voices are really making it to the forefront right. of political discourse. Right. And not just making it to the forefront, but effectively dominating it. How, I mean, that's incredible. They are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, they're still, like, you know, a minority in Congress, yeah. but you turn on the news and... That's all you see. You're not is hearing about the male freshmen. Yeah, no. I, I don't think I could name a single male freshman. <laughs> Josh Harder. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> we know him. <laughs> Oops. There we go. Uh, yeah. So, speaking of Congress, speaking of the federal government, I wanted to hit you with a rapid fire round oh. of just reactions. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to name off a few people who are who have announced they're running for president in 2020, sure. and some that are kind of speculating. Okay. Elizabeth Warren. She's yeah. She's toast. Toast. <laughs> yeah. Why is she toast? She's she. Uh, I just I it's just such a lackluster announcement hmm. in my eyes. Um, is it she, the announcement? Or is it her sort of platform? I, oh, her candidacy. I yeah. think it's it's just sort of lackluster. And um, I think that, you know, she she probably should have ran in the last election. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably where she had most Straight of her... Hot. Yeah, most yeah. of her leverage. And um, I think that she's sort of passe now. And, you know, these midterm elections, we saw so much new energy. And people are excited by yeah. it, and that showed in who was elected. Um, but you don't see the same kind of fire for Warren. Well, well no, she's been, I mean, she, quite frankly, she's she's been around a really long time. I think that um, in most cases, she's been on the right side of the issue, at least for true progressives. But, um, uh, you know, it's kind of this, like, well, where were you? Yeah. Qu 
question. I hear that. Right now. Um, and we're looking for people who are who are pioneering. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that she hasn't on, on certain issues, but um, I don't think she has that sort of new wow. Yeah. This person factor. All I know about her is her idea about regulating banks and getting mm-hmm. workers onto boards, uh, which is a significant thing. It's it would be meaningful and it would have meaningful effects. But that's all I know, and right. that's all she's really known for. And I'm in policy school. Right. I'm not saying I'm the most informed person. It's just this, it's her job to speak to us. Right. Right. <clears throat> Julian Castro. Don't know a lot about yeah, him. That's another problem, isn't it? Don't know like, a lot about him. We don't know much about him. No. And I, you know, I don't know how, when thinking about what people want, um, there, there is a certain level of, of theatrics here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, really? And there is a lot of uh, value in a name these days. Uh, and I'm sure you're, you're going to throw some, some other person at me that is like, well, this person made a splash. So, yeah. and I think that's important. I think, um, you know, we're trying to balance having the right person as the candidate uh, in 2020 with um, having the person who can beat mm. the Republican candidate. Yeah. It's, that might it's be. incredibly difficult to have any idea what that is, what that would require. Mm-hmm two years out. I mean, a little right. less than two. Every day is a little less, and it's right. making me sweat that right. much more. Um, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I was I was really excited about her. I was uh, waiting for her to announce mm-hmm. for a really long time, and I've always... She, I mean, she is a lesser, still a lesser known. Relatively. I recognized the name, and then I saw right. her face, and I heard a little bit more about her platform um, when she announced. But... I had only heard her name basically before that announcement. Right, right. yeah. And um, of course, you know, a couple of days after she announced all of this controversy came out that she had previously worked for an anti-LGBTQ mm-hmm. organization. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, those are those are issues that had come out in her in her campaign for right. for Congress. So um, it, they're not necessarily new, but. This is new. I mean, this is a whole new ball game when you're talking about the presidential race, and and those are things. Everything's going to be picked through with a fine tooth comb. Of course. Do you think that it's fair for someone to say, "Look, that is how I was then, but this is how I am now"? How much does the past matter at this point? I mean, I I I think that's valid. I think that that's what we need in mm. this country. Um, People who are willing to change their minds, right? That's you know, learning opportunities, and also sort of responding to change of change of the tides. And mm-hmm. she noted in her in her apology um, that she posted on her social media the other day that, well, this is the environment that I grew up in that mm. bestowed these ideas on me, um, and we can all relate to that. I mean, we've all grown up with these ideas around us that. Um, we were indoctrinated with and didn't have a choice. And so um, the fact that she was able to do such a 180 on her views is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I gotta give her credit for coming around and changing her mind, especially you know on the side that I agree with. Mm-hmm. You know, But then there are going to be people who feel the exact opposite. Right. But this is you know liberal West Coast Monterey. Right. So good to right. keep in mind your audience and 
your bubble. That being said, yeah. I think that probably tanked her candidacy. You think so? Yeah. Already? Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it today, <laughs> folks. <laughs> that's, my, that's my projection. I, I think that's fair. That's uh, my we, projection. We shall see. Kirsten Gillibrand. Don't know her. Don't know her? No. Okay. I've, I didn't know her too well. I knew she was from New York. Um, I heard an interview with her a couple of days ago. She was on Pod Save America. Okay. And she sounded very much like a candidate in the interview. She was. She clearly had talking points. And she's a relatively progressive white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, relatively young. She. Wa- I think her her main line has to do with, "I'm going to take care of your kids the way I take care of mine." She's emphasizing her role as a mother. Sure. Uh, but otherwise, she's she's quite progressive in mm-hmm. my estimation. It's just at this point. Being progressive isn't enough, if you right. ask me. I mean, what are you looking for? What is like a top policy priority that you're looking for in a candidate, whether it's a woman, person of color, or a white guy, God forbid, at this right. point? <laughs> what are you looking for? That I mean, that's the golden question, right? Mm-hmm. What are we what are we looking for in a candidate? Um, I you know, there are obviously specific issues, I think. Uh, Medicare for all. She supports that. Sure, yeah. And I that's think kind of in vogue these days for Democratic right, progressives. Right, right, right. And um, in the same way that, you know, uh, economic reform, campaign finance reform, that's a big one. Because um, I think, you know, a lot stems from that. So that's a big, big issue for me. Um, but I think, you know, immigration's a big issue right now. You don't um, say. <laughs> immigration yeah. is huge right now. Um, will opinions on immigration sway this election? I don't know. I don't know. Depends what happens, I think, in the next, you know, between now and the government reopening. Right. It's going to... I have a feeling there's not going to be any policy solution that actually opens the government, and I have a feeling there isn't going to be a real solution following that either. Right. Probably just another holdover policy kicking the can down the road. Right. Which is a shame for all the dreamers out there. And yeah. Otherwise, you know, people seeking asylum at the border, it's all, it's, it is a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, That's of course. one thing that the president said that is true, mm-hmm. however he created it. Yeah. Um, but let's not get too into that at the moment. <laughs> um, Kamala Harris. Um, I am a big fan mm-hmm. of Kamala Harris. Um, and here's why she's a maverick. Mm hmm. And she does not have a perfect track record. I'll get, I will say that, does not have a perfect track record, but in the same way that, you know, Tulsi Gabbard has really come around on a lot of these issues um, and has uh, moved with the tides of change. I think that Kamala Harris has sort of done the same thing. Um, and she's... I think she has the best of both worlds in a lot of ways. Um, she's not totally a newcomer, comer, but she's new to this sort of um, top dog game yeah. of politics. Um, and she's a, com- I mean, she's competitor. She's fierce. Yeah. She makes her name known, and she suffers no fools. No, yeah. um, and she was, you know, she was front line on um, a lot of key issues, a lot of, um, you know, Senate Judiciary Committees. Mm-hmm. Um, she. She grilled Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. That was impressive. I mean, just her her unwavering, um, relentless nature yeah. in the way that she talks to people 
uh, for me is really appealing. Yeah, um, the prosecutor in her, she gets laser focused on what she's looking for in her questioning. Right. And it's really, it's impressive and also inspiring to know that people are actually putting that kind of attention into right. the, you know, a Senate hearing of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the, um, you know, people were quick to point out, well, she's not likable. And I think you're going to get that, quite frankly, with any woman who decides yeah. to, to run. She's either going to be too tough or she's going to be too soft. And there's no perfect combination of toughness and softness that a woman yeah. can achieve. I, I mean, so this is just personal that I really like how, how tough she is yeah. and how um, aggressive she is and um, willing, to, willing to go after um, people in the way that that needs to be done right now. Yeah. It's 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 interesting too. Her candidacy was announced without a whole lot of emphasis on her being a woman, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that it's a really fine line that candidates like her and and male candidates too have to tread because this likability or electability factor, you know, gender used to be and is probably still a major factor whether mm -hmm. we acknowledge it or oh. not. I think it's one of the so, biggest factors right yeah, now. But how much can a candidate, whether a woman or a man, play that card mm -hmm. or address that and still be taken seriously or be taken as a real prospective candidate? Sure. It's it's a really fine line to walk these days. Kamala Harris, though, I feel like just came out as a candidate with a strong platform. Right. So we'll see how that evolves. Right. I, For the record, I... I kind of dig her too. I'm on her email list now, okay. so we'll see what happens. <laughs> she's she's supposedly the front runner right now. Supposedly, what about Joe? Oh God, I'm that, I, knew, <laughs> I think I already I knew know you how gonna, you feel about Joe. Um, tell me about Joe if Biden. If Joe Biden runs, I'm just going <laughs> to lose it. Um, and I think he will. I think he'll run. I yeah. Um, I you know it's to me that would just be such a backward step for the Democratic Party. Um, yeah. And kind this all comes back to this sort of division of um, people who are really want to stay in their, com AKA baby boomers, who want to stay you know, in their comfort zone yeah. um, in terms of the candidates that they know and who they've seen before, right? We've seen him carry out policies. In He's got the, the vague association with a previous pretty well-loved president by the Democrats. Right. So it's a safe choice. It's absolutely a safe choice. And I, you know, I don't think that he would necessarily do a bad job as president. Um, but I just don't think that's the progressive energy that mm -mm. that we're looking for right now. Every time I see a news story with his name and I just kind of cringe. Like, yeah. I like Joe Biden as a person, generally. But like like you were saying, it's just it seems like a step backward, right? Compared to what we've got, it's like it's a step back towards centrism, which has sure. led us to exactly where we are now. And also, where has he been <laughs> in the last couple of years? Biding his time. Biding his time. There we go. <laughs> but I mean, these other people have been out on the issues, yeah. you know, and of course, they're a lot of them actually in Congress right now, so. It's, it, I'm actually, I'm glad you said that because this question of where were you, where have you been, mm -hmm. it's, it's one thing to be calculating in the way that you make your it, like political tactics and strategy, but if you're really, it, it seems for him and for certain other candidates, they're intentionally holding back to wait and see where the 
you know, the tide is ebbing or flowing or where the currents are. And that to me seems like, no, you need to be you and we will judge you and, and vote and, for you based on right. that. And I think that the people who are doing that are actually changing the tides. Mm -hmm. They are actually setting the agenda, the progressive agenda. Um, all these women who were just elected to Congress, mm -hmm. they didn't wait for somebody to tell them what to say. Hell no. Um, they just came out and said it. And now they've set this precedent for what the democratic platform should be. And if you're not on board with that, then you're not progressive enough yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways. If you trust polls for whatever it's worth, think people are already in the majority supportive of things like the 70% tax mm -hmm. for the top marginal tax rate presented by a freshman that you'll, we'll, we'll get to talk about her soon. <laughs> um, but it's it's already it's been absorbed into this progressive platform already. We mm -hmm. were I, I know I was ready for it. I'm sure you were ready for it. I think a lot of young people, young being not baby boomers. No offense, <laughs> baby boomers listening to it. my parents are baby boomers. And I love it, <laughs> but sorry, mom and dad. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> uh, how about Amy Klobuchar? Are you familiar with her? No. Yeah, not many people are. I, I, you know, I'm only familiar with her because podcasts make me familiar with her mm -hmm. um, to a degree. But she is so far not distinguished herself. She hasn't officially declared yet. Mm. She's been sort of speculated about. She sort of came to prominence during an exchange, I think, in some in a Senate hearing. Uh, it was Brett Kavanaugh who asked her if she drinks, and she basically just told him to. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It was an interesting kind of testy exchange mm -hmm. where she kind of showed her mettle. Right. But as far as I can tell, I can't really tell the difference between her and Kristen Gillibrand at this point mm. as far as their platforms mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. And it says a lot that neither of us know a whole lot about her. Yeah. Um, Sherrod Brown, how about him? For me, it's the same answer. I don't know much yeah. about him. Uh, I heard a little bit of him. Where is he from? I think he's from Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's a white guy. Not as old as Joe, but still a white guy. Uh, progressive in a sense. But I think his name, as much as anything, he hasn't officially declared either, and he hasn't come out with an official platform. Um, he's really about workers' rights and stuff like mm -hmm. that. That's a big deal in the Midwest, but it's this white guy thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll just take us to Bernie. Of course. What about Bernie? Right. What about Bernie? I mean, I love Bernie. I voted for him in the primaries last time around, but... Yeah, so Bernie... Bernie's my boy. I, I, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> I'm struggling with Bernie right now. Um, and this is, this is coming from somebody who has been Bernie all the way. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I did vote for Hillary ultimately in the general election, but... Um, only because Bernie told me to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, same here. So Bernie is interesting. I have come to the conclusion that if Beto runs, which I assume you're going to ask me about next. It's the last one on the If list. Beto runs, then Bernie shouldn't run. Interesting. Um, because I think that Beto, I, I think Beto has the best shot right now. Really? If he were to if he were to declare his candidacy. Best shot out of all the people. Yeah, I do. I, I, Even I, compared to the women 
Kamala Harris. I do because I think that women are still just being torn down by, um, by you know what we talked about earlier. Uh, too fierce, too too soft, too and young, too, old, too young, too whatever, old, yeah. um, whatever it is, and too female. That's really what people right, are saying. Right, yeah. exactly, and you know that makes me so sad. Um, but you know that might be well, maybe it's just not the right woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like Kamala Harris; she's really problematic, but maybe she's not the right woman. Yeah. Um, same as Hillary Clinton; she was not the right woman mm. to be president, you know? Um, yeah. And so with, with, with Bernie, I, you know, we have to, I, I just, as long as we give Bernie all the credit in the world for truly transforming uh, the Democratic Party in a lot of ways and the progressive um, platform, then I'm okay with somebody else adopting that platform and carrying it out who might be more appealing to a broader base. So that's the thing about Beto, though. When he ran for Senate and lost, he lost to Ted Cruz, he lost in Texas. Mm-hmm. And he was running on a platform that was trying to appeal to what is essentially a red state mm-hmm. um, with a lot of conservative values of different kinds, f- from fiscal to social. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really prove that he was in the same political space as Bernie except for maybe a select few issues. Do you think that he can legitimately change his platform and go from center to kind of center left or far left as Bernie did? Can he take up that mantle? I think so. Yeah, I do. Um, I think that it's inevitable that whoever whoever is the candidate does adopt that platform. And, yeah. and these people are smart and they have a you know an army of strategists behind yeah. them. Bernie's you know, 2016 run was exactly what the people, or I shouldn't say the people, I'm sorry, exactly what true progressives wanted to see, Mm -hmm. um, all, you know, packaged very neatly into this campaign. Um, But those ideas are transferable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that if people really, uh, if, if these candidates tap into that, which a lot of them have done, I think many people who ran in the midterms won on that, um, premise on on the revolution premise, right. um, and yeah, so I, I do. I think that is it's inevitable that whoever, whether it's Beto um, or or Kamala Harris or whoever it is, they're going to need to they're going to need to push left. On I tend these to issues. agree with you. I mean, it it seems, and I want it to be inevitable that his platform from two year Bernie's platform from twenty sixteen pulled a lot of democratic progressives Mm -hmm. far to the left, farther than they probably were comfortable being. Sure. But if you look at the field right now, most people's platforms incorporate not only Medicare for all, but also just a much greater focus on justice of all kinds. Mm, Yeah. And Bernie, you know, God love him. He's an old white guy. He's an old white guy. And yeah, I I don't I don't see him in a in a role right now where he's. Um, I, I think he understands where he's at. I think he gets it. I do too. And mm-hmm. I think he probably feels an obligation of some kind to make sure that his platform, his ideas and ideology is out there. But I have a feeling that if he sees a guy like Beto or even 
a female can any candidate carrying that legacy forward. I I hope he will gracefully let that happen. Yeah, and I think he's a, he he's actually stated that um, <clears throat> that the only way he would run is if he saw um, a lack of of sort of true progressive yeah. uh, morals being carried out through somebody's platform. Um, and I think that was a warning from Bernie um, to say, hmm. you guys better get your shit together. Can I say that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you guys better get your shit together. Yeah. Make sure that that campaign platform is tight. Make sure you're hitting on all the issues, whoever it is, um, and and carry that out. And because I think that Bernie is someone, he doesn't care about the uh, sort of um, politics and, and the fame and the prestige and the, yeah. prestige and the um, you know, the big names. He doesn't care about all of, yeah. all of this sort of um, theatrical, you know, political. Yeah, he's not doing it for himself. He's not doing no, it for... No, he, he genuinely wants to see these, our country move in that direction. Um, and that's, I mean, you can look back at his record from day yeah. one. That's that's what he's been doing, and it's never been about him as a candidate. Um, and so I think that, and he, I think that Bernie is sort of revered as, you know, the grandfather mm -hmm. of progressive politics in the United States. Yeah. I will always be grateful for what he did. Yeah. Because he, he did turn me on to what a real progressive platform would look like. Exactly. And so I feel like I won't accept anything less. Right. And I don't think that a lot of us had seen that before. Yeah. It was the sort of thing we didn't even know we needed. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. <laughs> um, let's get a little bit of talking about Congress and okay. the freshman class. Mm -hmm. um, so taxes. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's everyone's hero right now, at yeah. least in this room. There are mm -hmm. two of us. <laughs> but um, I think there's something to be said for just coming in and saying, screw your precedent, screw your agenda, screw all the, the leadership. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll support you, but only if you support us. Like right. They came in and just wrested control from mm -hmm. the so-called established or establishment, I don't know, established right. politicians mm -hmm. that are in there. But what I'm noticing, and this is something Angela kind of pointed out to us in those messages this morning, there's this really, I don't want to call it myopic focus, but it, there's a really hyper focus on domestic issues right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things like that, the trade agreement, NAFTA two, USMCA, uh, it hasn't even come up among these freshmen. And I saw something in the article he posted. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez website doesn't even mention trade outside of trade unions. Mm -hmm. So it's totally uh, disconnected from it. Do you think it's a good idea for all the freshmen to be so focused on domestic issues of social justice and financial responsibility, things like that? Yeah. Um, well, I first of all, don't think it's a coincidence at all because a lot of these... Um, a lot of the freshman class, particularly the women, um, were activists in their community and worked very closely um, with their with their community and certain organizations to get elected. Um, so they they transitioned literally from activists right into Congress. Yeah. Um, 
and campaigned on the platform that um, I am one of you. I am a member of this community first and, and your representative second. Um, and just listening to them and talking about their issues. And I think uh, those are the issues that they have the most authority on. They can speak firsthand. Right. Um, about what their um, residents and constituents are facing. So I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, at the same time, I mean, I think that these freshman members of Congress um, have, a, have a lot to learn and they're about to get a crash course. I mean, For sure. you saw they came in and there was initially talk of, of them resisting Pelosi as speaker mm -hmm. and then um, well, sure they, enough, they were they... able to negotiate sort of a concession from her that she would only do one term as speaker mm. uh, to eventually make room for somebody who isn't, you know, of the old guard, mm -hmm. as they say. Right. And that was that was within the first, that was, I think that was almost before they were inaugurated into Congress. Right. They immediately started using their leverage. Right. Um, but this this focus on domestic affairs and you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We both entered this school as IPD, mm -hmm. uh, International Policy and Development. Right. My experience, especially, I took conflict resolution my first semester and just looking and highlighting conflicts around the world and, and just all the different perspectives you get on policy, international mm -hmm. policy. It made me look inward, mm -hmm. both at like my my own inner thoughts, you know, talking about white fragility and con uh, conflict resolution mm -hmm. talking about you know this sort of neo-colonialism that well it's not even a neo-colonialism it's just it never stopped um, it made me focus on this country it made me realize I we need to get our house in order before we can tell anybody else what the hell to do sure I mean there's the UN there's the World Bank all of these international organizations but I, I'm sort of seeing a similar trend in our Congress. I see this focus on getting our shit together mm -hmm. before we... I mean, Bernie has been developing his own sort of foreign policy platform because he basically didn't have one last time. Right. But if <clears throat> if this is kind of what the, international, or the national conversation is about, and that's what our new Congress people are talking about, I mean, I'm sensing a trend. Sure. The U.S. is starting to realize... Man, we aren't so we <laughs> make America great again. When were we great? Right. In the sense, in that sense. Right. I think that this is def. I think you nailed it. It's it's the most introspection that we've seen in mm. a long time. I mean, I'm only 25, so I I can't look back like several decades. Right. But um, at least from you know from that perspective, we're we're looking inwards um, and. You know, I think immigration is push is is actually p causing us to yeah. to look further inwards. We're in a looking lot of ways. at our actual DNA. We're looking at what. I mean, my grandparents were immigrants. I'm right. Guessing you probably had some immigrants somewhere down the line. You know, yep. can't have gotten here otherwise. No. Yeah. But that. I mean, that's that's a kind of that's a trope that a lot of people hit on. But this introspection idea, like you, what made you think it's time to maybe consider an MPA instead of an IPD degree? Um, probably just that. I mean, I, I, you know, well, first of all, I, I worked this past year with 
with homeless populations and, and low-income populations and just realize the extent of people who are affected by, um, by poverty and, and homelessness and just, it's just mind-blowing. And then I came to California and it was, it was tenfold mm. what I saw in my hometown. Okay. Um, and it's just how many people are neglected yeah. in this country and not getting what they need. Um, and that it ultimately stems from what we're prioritizing on the federal and state levels. Um, and when there is all of this emphasis on, on foreign relations, how are we going to really focus on domestic yeah. issues? I mean, it's a, it, it is going to be a challenge for whoever is president in 2020 or following the election because we've wrecked a lot of our international friendships with other countries. If I were they, I wouldn't want to be friends with us. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be friends with us until we've had this introspective moment as a country. Sure. I, 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 I would, <laughs> people complain about Obama being an apologist for our country. I complain about all the presidents who weren't. Right. So. I don't know. What do you see as, like, if you were to, I mean, you're 25, AOC's 28. What would be your focus if you were in Congress today? Um, education. Hmm. Top issue. Um, affordability. Um, and actually, it was funny. I was just thinking, you know, speaking of how the world looks at us, whenever I told my my friends in France, how much I paid for tuition here. It was, it was some, it was unfathomable to yeah. them. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I would have, I would not give up my education for anything. It's, uh, priceless to me, but would I like not to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt at the end? Yes. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, that it, it's not just, it, it's not just me. It has serious implications for the rest of the country. Um, the student debt bubble is our next economic crisis, quite frankly. Um, yeah. And I think education is really where you see um, strat the stratification of, of classes. Mm. Um, it's really where you see racism at its, um, at its greatest, sexism at its greatest, uh, wh wherever, whatever it is, um, the underprivileged people uh, are not getting the education that we need our population to have and on all levels. I mean, and the fact is, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up where I did in Northern California, democratic liberal bastion. Mm -hmm. And that was my education. You know, obviously I read the books and I did the homework and up through high school, but my real education didn't begin till after that, till right. I was starting to be exposed to the world mm -hmm. and the things that actually matter right and that's that's the thing our education doesn't emphasize the things that actually matter right now sure they emphasize a, you know Western European lens on history at best and if you get anything more than that you're lucky right that I, I would totally get behind prioritization of education because the the kids we see running around these days with their feds phones glued to their iPad or smartphone where are they getting their education mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we can answer that today. Yeah. And, um, you know, on the 
secondary education level too. Mm. Um, When we, you know, when our generation starts buying houses, it's already happening. We can't afford, we can't afford houses. We can't, we can't afford, um, you know, to buy vehicles or, or whatever it is. It's, it's going to catch up to us eventually. Um, and I hope it does. I hope yeah. it does catch up to us because it doesn't seem that anybody's really looking out for people who are just buried in student loan debt. Yeah. And it, it, the thing with the Los Angeles school district too, that was a great illustration of priorities. Right. And, you know, I, I think we, we can go around in circles talking about this, but I think there's a serious reprioritization that needs to take place in Absolutely. terms of domestic and international affairs. I mean, they are kind of one in the same in a certain sense. Yeah. One begets the other. Right. But I don't know if we're going to come up with any solutions right now. Right. But I like that focus. Yeah. For sure. I think the other big issue and in the same vein and in, in how closely it actually is tied to the economy is obviously um, global warming and climate change. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, many people disassociate economics and and climate change or, or economics and education. But, um, you know, we've seen in the Green New Deal that's come out, that's been rolled out by, you know, Bernie and AOC, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're one and the same. We're talking yeah. economics that, at, at the core of it. And... Um, the Green New Deal is really appealing because it's it's saying that they don't have to be mutually exclusive and no. you can actually improve your economy and strengthen your economy um, while making serious progress on climate change. And just kind of recreate the infrastructure in which we are learning and about which we are learning mm-hmm. and that, we're, that we... I, it's, I think it's just incredibly important to impress upon people who are in a position of being educated these days, myself, yourself included, that you can't separate these things mm-hmm. anymore. We can't afford to. We can't afford to keep education separate from environmental consciousness and economic awareness. I mean, the jobs of the future, I mean, we already see a lot of people making money off of solar engineering, off of selling Teslas, things like that. And that's these are all sort of smaller scale things now. There's money in it. Oh, totally. There's it's it it seems like a no brainer to you and me. I guess the, the question is how how do we actually incentivize other people to get on board? Yeah, someday. of course. And that starts with our administration. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen in the next year. It and all a half, goes but and comes for full circle back. <laughs> comes back to leadership. Yep. So absolutely. I I'm hopeful about the leadership we have in Congress now. I am. I don't know how I feel about these candidates yet. There's a lot to unfold between yeah, them and 2020. And, but you know, I think that it's becoming very borderline oversaturated right now with candidates already it seems so early to have so many people doing this yeah i I don't know how that's going to turn out because i don't know the master of distraction has an unlimited number of cards up his sleeve he'll pull them out of anywhere right and he has no shame so right yeah um and i think i don't know we'll, we'll maybe we'll get to talk about this in you know a future episode or whatever but um ranked choice voting would be a great 
way to flush that out. I hear that worked pretty well in Maine. It did. It yeah. worked very well. And that's that's all I can think about as all these candidates come out. I'm how, like, how would that change things, you think? Um, I think it would, A, uh, I think it, it prompts people who might be scared of running for um, for fear that they will pull votes from another candidate. Mm -hmm. It will eliminate that. So um, it will encourage more people to run. Um, and then, you know, I think it, for, for voters, you won't have to um, make this one sort of finite yeah. uh stringent decision on one candidate. I think that's a yeah. lot of pressure for All a voter. In one basket. Uh, right. And I think because every single one of these candidates who's come out so far, there's been an issue with. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to have an issue with the candidate. And I think that's, that's inevitable. Um, but how do we make sure that we still get the best possible person? And that's, I mean, to me, ranked choice voting is a no-brainer. I think we should talk more about this on on a future episode once I, we learn a little more about it yes. and exactly how it could work at we'll, a national level. We'll, we'll do a whole chalkboard and, and draw I it like out. I like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Make a diagram of how it works. Um, well, I mean, this has been wonderfully productive. Yes. I think. Thank you for Thanks. sharing your thoughts. Yes, we'll see. They're, they're sort of jumbled right now, but hopefully yeah. we can you. tighten them up as, they, as it goes. We'll see how the semester goes. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of time between now and 2020, so I'm sure we'll talk again. Yes, of course. We've <laughs> got some time. Class. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's it for now. Thank you, Gabe. Good luck with your start of the semester. You too. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to Emmy for the conversation. Truly enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to more. I would also really like to have conversations with you. Yes, you, the listeners of Miss Radio. What do you want to talk about? What is intriguing to you these days, whether it's about local politics, national politics, policy, development, international, domestic, non-proliferation, terrorism studies, translation, interpretation, localization, management, you name it. There are a lot of students here who wish they could take classes from all sorts of programs. I know I'm one of them. I've met several. I'm friends with most of them because that's what we're into. Um, please let me know if there's something you want to talk about. That's what Miss Radio is all about, getting your voices out there, having conversations that you wouldn't ordinarily get to have. All right, that's it for now. Get in touch with me if you want to. Sanders at miss.edu. Here for you always. All right, take it easy.